Now, you seem a little bit sad again today, and last week I was able to lighten the load because I told you a good funny joke about don't step on the ducks. Some of you been watching for ducks all week long. I got nothing for you. You have heard of Murphy's Law, right? Murphy's Law is what? Whatever can go wrong, will go wrong, right? Have you, you, you've also heard of Cole's Law? Cole's Law? It's, it's thinly sliced cabbage and mayo added. Coleslaw. 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 Some of y'all gonna get in the car on your way home. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, let's get into the message today. If you were not here last week and you're just now joining us, first of all, we say welcome. Come on, one more time for all of our first-time guests. Can you let them know? Somebody sitting next to you, make sure they feel welcome. Make sure you help them figure out how to get to the notes, and because we'd love to have you download the notes or go to our app. But if you weren't here last week, we started something here last week because I just believe that coming out of Easter, it's important that we make sure that we be sensitive to the fact that we had 649 people get saved on Easter weekend here at Impact Church. And as you heard Pastor Rodney say, just for this month alone, there have been 916 people in church services, come on, that have said yes to Jesus Christ. Almost a, and that's not counting today and next Sunday. So there'll be over 1,000 people this month here at Impact Church that end up saying yes to Jesus Christ. And one of the things I know about teaching people who are new to the things of God, or even those of us that have been saved for a while, hear me out, is that all of us need to know how to hear God's voice. All of us need to know how to fine-tune our hearing so we know how to recognize when God is speaking to us. And so I am very intentionally taking some time to walk us through systematically and and really kind of from a ground level up to make sure we fine-tune our hearing. So our our scripture verse we've been using for this series is Mark chapter 4, verse 23. It says, if any man has ears to hear, let him be listening. Everybody shout, be listening. listening. Everybody shout, be listening. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and let him comprehend. So we've been talking about this reality that it's important for us to know how to recognize and hear the voice of God. Now, one of the reasons why we told you last week that we need to be listening is because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, but understand this, that in the last days, everybody shout last days. Come on, I need you to shout, shout last days. In the last days, the Bible says, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days, that will be hard to bear. The Bible makes it very clear that in the last days, we're going to be living in some very dangerous times. How many know that we're living in those dangerous times right now? And what that means for us, without leaving anybody afraid, or I don't want you to walk around tiptoeing and scared, but that means that we, gotta be, we have to fine-tune our ability to recognize God's voice because God's voice will tell us how to avoid the pitfalls, how to avoid the tragedies. Come on, say amen, somebody. God's voice, God's word will teach us how to end up in the right place at the right time instead of the wrong place at the wrong time. In fact, yesterday, if you missed Saturday prayer, every Saturday we have prayer right here, and it's, it's always an amazing time. I'm usually here every Saturday I can make it, but yesterday, uh, Evelyn was minister. Evelyn Robinson was minister. She had a great message yesterday. One thing she shared in her message though, that kind of ties in is that there was a time when she was at a conference out in Texas, and, and uh, later on in the day, some of the, the, the people that went to the conference with her wanted to go to a grocery store, and she just had a check in her spirit that said, no, we shouldn't go. But kind of, you know, allowed the crowd to say, well, no, let's come, come on, go. Kind of overrode that check in her spirit. Went ahead and went to the grocery store anyway. 
They're in the grocery store, finish shopping, getting in line to check out, and a guy comes in and robs the grocery store at gunpoint. Well, now, obviously, she's sitting here telling the story yesterday, so she walked out of it okay. But the reality is, well, I said, that could have turned out to be a tragic situation. And people would have said, well, I says, why did God let that happen? But the truth of the matter is that God was trying to keep her from being even in a situation where death could come near her by prompting her heart. Now, thank God for his grace and mercy. Because all of us have had God tell us to do something we missed a mark. And his grace and his mercy is what sustains us. But I'm saying to you that the closer we get to the end, the more dangerous times are going to become. The Bible says that the, the enemy, the thief, knows that he has just a little time left. So he's becoming more and more vicious, which means we can't afford to have God tell us go right and we go left. We can't afford to have God tell us to end up at this store, but we end up at the wrong one. We have to become more sensitive to God's voice, even in the small matters, because little bitty steps of obedience make a real big difference in the kingdom of God. Shout amen, somebody. Now, here's a quote I want you to remember from last week. The foundational way that God leads us is through Scripture. Remember, I told you last week that we got to get more and more of God's word in our heart. That means we got to have more daily devotionals. We ought to have a Bible reading plan. Why well, is some of the music we listen to every now and then ought to have some word in it? Can I get an amen in this middle section at least? You're sitting this close. Can I get an amen from somebody? I mean, some of the music we, I'm not saying that the only music you can listen to is just Christian music. And I'm not even saying just listen to gospel music because there's some gospel music, some Christian music that has no word in it at all. What I'm saying is that we're going to fine tune our ear to recognize God's voice better. We've got to make sure we have God's word in our heart on a regular basis. Now, here's another reason why we've got to be listening to God. We need to be listening so that we don't waste our lives. We got one life to live. We, we can't afford to not be listening and end up wasting our lives. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. If I, if I were to translate that verse, I'd translate it this way. Live a life of purpose, not a life of default. See, when we learn how to listen to God, then God will tell us which school to go to. He'll tell us which degree to get. He'll tell us which job to take. Come on, somebody. He'll tell us whether to move to that city or to stay put right where we are. Because we want to learn how to live a life of purpose, not a life of default. Ephesians 5.16 from the English Standard Version says, Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. How many know that this is the truth? It feels like time is flying by. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're already at the end of the first quarter, have zoomed through the month of April. We're, we're almost at May in this year already. It seems like we just said Happy New Year, which just brings to mind that that famous quote that we hear so often, youth is wasted on the young, expresses the same sentiment that the days are evil. We can't afford to waste time. In fact, a 2019 study published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry showed that the age most people say they finally found their purpose is age 60. I ain't trying to say nothing, but that's <laughs> days that most people say they actually found their purpose is age 60. That means if you're over 60, it's not too late to discover your purpose and make a difference, but you're going to have to come on and speed it up. 
Underlay, underlay. Come on, someone. If you're under 60, it means that you can't afford to keep waiting and putting it off and just delaying to, to find your purpose. The days we live in are evil. We've got to make sure we have purposeful living. And even if you're a student, it, it means even for our students that we got to don't wait till you're 30 or 40 or 50 before you finally start getting your head on right and start focusing. Because one of the things I, I, I noted from this study by the New York Federal Reserve Bank is that seven out of 10 people never used the college degree that they went to school for. I was stunned when I, when I read that. Not, not three out of 10, seven, 70% of the people that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars getting a college degree and spend years of their life paying back a student loan never even use the degree that they went to school for. You know what that means? That means we got to slow down and figure out purpose before we just start marching along and doing things by default instead of by design. Shout amen, somebody. We got to fine-tune our listening. So now here, I, I want to... Give you a story in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, <clears throat> but I want to set it up for you because in 1 Samuel, there's a, an elderly prophet by the name of Eli. Eli's been the reigning prophet, and he's got a young student, a young mentee on his hip by the name of Samuel. Samuel ends up becoming a major prophet that we're familiar with. In fact, Samuel's the one that God sent to anoint David to be the next king over Israel. Well, now Samuel ends up living in the temple, the tabernacle where the priest is because his mother made a commitment to God. She couldn't have a child and when God finally blessed her with a child, she promised God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. So when Samuel was born, his mother took time to wean him and, and nurse him. But as soon as he was ready, she took him back to the house of God and literally gave him to basically be an altar boy, to be there to serve the house of God, serve the prophet of God for the rest of his life. So he's here serving the, the elderly prophet Eli. And I want you to notice this exchange. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the boy Samuel served the Lord under Eli. In those days, the Lord did not speak directly to people very often. There were very few visions. Eli's eyes were so weak that he, all, he was almost blind. One night he was lying in bed, and Samuel was also in, in, in bed in the Lord's house, where the ark of the agreement or the covenant was. God's lamp was still burning. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, I am here. He ran to Eli and said, I'm here, you call me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So Samuel went back to bed. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel again went to Eli and said, I'm here, you call me. Again, Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed, boy. <laughs> Samuel, watch this, did not yet know the Lord. I want you to notice this. Samuel is a young person. He did not yet know the Lord. Watch this. He's serving God, but he doesn't know God's voice. Watch this. He's dedicated his whole life to God, but he doesn't know how to recognize God's voice. He did not yet know the Lord, and the Lord had not spoken directly to him yet. The Lord called Samuel for the third time. Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, I am here. You call me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he told Samuel, go to bed. If he calls you again, this is what you say. Say, speak, Lord. I am your servant. And watch this. I am listening. Did you notice something here? Notice this, that Samuel didn't know God's voice, but Eli didn't ridicule him for not knowing God's voice. Eli didn't say, what do you mean? You've been, in, you've been serving God all this time. You don't know how to recognize God's voice? 
it wasn't assumed that he would understand how to recognize God's voice. So Eli, being the mature prophet, said, let me teach you, son, how to recognize when God is talking to you, and let me teach you how you respond when he's trying to get your attention. So Samuel went and lay down in bed. The Lord came and stood there and called like he had done before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, I am your servant, and I am listening. How many know if if Samuel can say to the Lord, he's listening, we can say the same thing to God too. In fact, the only difference is Samuel said, I'm your servant and I'm listening. We can take it one better than I'm your child and I'm listening. In fact, so so, so we lift one hand toward heaven and say this out loud. Say, speak, Lord. Lord. I am your child and I am listening. Come on, say it like you mean it. Speak, Lord. Speak loudly, Lord. I am your child and I am listening. You can talk to me about my family, about my relationships, about my money, about my body, about whatever you want me to adjust because I am your child, I am of your pasture, I am listening, and I'm ready to obey. Now, if you really mean that, give the Lord a shout of praise in this place. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Come on, I'm listening, God. I'm tuning my ear. I want to know what you have to say, God. See, Jesus already established for us last week in John chapter 10 that he is speaking to his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. So even if we struggle sometimes trying to intellectually grab hold of that, we recognize we are part of his pasture. We know his voice. In other words, you are hearing God speak to you even if you have not yet learned how to discern his voice. That's why it's my job. My job as your pastor, as your Eli is to teach you how to go back and recognize when God is talking to you, how to respond so you know how to say yes to God and let him begin giving you the download for whatever it is he needs you to know. God will talk to you about every area of your life if you're listening. Can I get an amen, somebody? So today I want to give you, I want to begin giving you seven keys to improving your hearing. Seven keys to improving your hearing. I will not get through all of them. My plan is to get through at least three of them and, 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 and do the, give you the rest of them next week. I made it through number four at the 8 o'clock service. So if you all listening as fast as 8 o'clock did, you'll get four of them too. <laughs> if you're hearing it slow, you're only going to get three. So I'm telling you right now, it's up to you. <laughs> number one, key number one to improving your hearing is you must believe that God is talking to you. I know that seems simple, but before, before I can give you how to hear from God and how to tune your hearing, your hearing, you've got to start off by just believing that God, I am hearing God's voice. I can't tell you what he's saying right now, but I just declare by faith, I know, I believe that I am hearing God's voice. He is talking to me. See, one of the benefits of the cross is direct access to the Father. The veil has been torn in two. What does that mean, Pastor? The veil has been torn in two. Well, you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said these famous words, it is finished. And the Bible says when he said it is finished, the Bible describes, it says the veil of the temple was torn in two. And really what the veil of the temple is, is that the the temple of the tabernacle that they had created, they had built with their hands. It had three parts to it. On on the outer side, on the the, the first kind of section of it was what we call the outer court. Then the, the, there was a curtain behind that outer court was what something called the holy place. Then the third compartment, which was the furthest end, was something called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And there was a huge curtain that, let, that, that, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. 
Because, in fact, nobody could go into to the most holy place except the high priest, and he can only go in there one time a year. That's because, at that time, because they weren't born again. They didn't have Holy Spirit living on the inside of them like we do today. God's presence was kind of locked up in that most holy place. In fact, God's presence is so potent that if the high priest went into that most holy place behind that last curtain and his life wasn't right, he would drop dead right there on the spot. Because there was no walking into God's presence with sin in your life and thinking you're going to survive it. So the presence of God was locked up in that spot. In order to communicate with God, the high priest would go in there. He'd take the blood of a, of, a, of a spotless animal. He'd put that blood on the mercy seat. There was a fire under the mercy seat. When that blood would hit that mercy seat, there'd be a smoke, an aroma that comes up. And that smoke, that aroma would cause God to say, okay, I will deal with Israel for one more year. They got a one-year reprieve, which means every year they had to go and resubscribe to forgiveness and mercy. And it was dependent upon what happened with that high priest. Well, when Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished, the Bible says that that last curtain that separated the holy place, it was torn in two. Now, most of us, when we think of that, we think of the drapes at our house are kind of ripping apart. But can I tell you that the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, many Bible scholars say it could have been as thick as two to four feet thick. In fact, I read one commentary that says if you were trying to rip that in two, a, a, a couple men couldn't rip it in half. In fact, they said you could, you could take wild horses on both sides of it, pulling in opposite directions, and it would still be hard for these wild horses to pull and rip that thing apart. But the moment Jesus said, it is finished, that curtain tore right down the middle. You know why? That was God's way of saying, you no longer need to go into a man-made house to hear from me. <laughs> you, know, come on, you no longer need to have a special title to hear from me. As long as you are in Christ Jesus, shout amen, somebody. As long as you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, you are qualified not only to have Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, live on the inside of you, but watch this, now you have a right to communicate with God for yourself, which means you don't need somebody to go and talk to God on your behalf and tell you what he said. You can talk to God for yourself. Come on, and he'll turn around and talk right back to you too. Come on, you ought to shout. That's a benefit, man. That's a blessing that we ought to, we take for granted far too much. John 16, Jesus said this way, in that day. Everybody say, that day is this day. Come on, say, that day is this day. Now, what day is he talking about? He's not talking about like Sunday or Thursday. The day he's talking about is the day of salvation that we live in right now. The day, the dispensation of grace where we can come to God, believe in Jesus Christ, submit our lives to him, and God treats us like we've never sinned a day in our life. Jesus said when that day shows up, the day we're living in right now, you will ask in my name. He says, I'm not saying that I'll go and ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, I'm not going to go and talk to God and then come back and tell you what he, want, he said. He said, when that day happens, you'll be able to ask God for yourself. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and you have believed that I came from God. Can I, can I just say this to you? Watch this. If Jesus doesn't need to talk to God for us, then nobody else does either. If I don't need Jesus to go and talk to God for me, I don't have to have a, a pastor or a bishop to go and talk to him. Now, I'm not saying you can't ask somebody to pray for you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting people to agree with you. But watch this. I don't have a little bat phone, a little bishop phone in the back that gives me quicker access to heaven than you got. <laughs> and I say that because a lot of times churches have been built around this philosophy of take everything to the pastor. 
and depend on the pastor. Now, nothing wrong with counseling. Nothing wrong with submitting your idea or what you believe God is saying to leadership that, that you're submitted to. If it's godly leadership, you ought to be able to trust the wisdom coming from them. Come on, but watch this. You don't need somebody to govern your life. You have the same access and ability to talk to God that I have to talk to God. And again, you know, sometimes in churches, we've kind of made this thing up where, 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 where pastors make it seem like you got to come to me. In fact, they, they won't tell you everything because they want you to come in and have to depend on them. I don't want you to depend on me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. I'm trying to train you up so, come on. I'm trying to train you up so you know how to talk to God on your own behalf. Come on, somebody. But see, that's the reason why the Bible says we got to study to show ourselves approved. And one of the struggles that we've had is that we've spent a whole lot of time in churches, going to church every Sunday, but not being taught anything. That's why the Bible says my people are cut off, destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, not a lack of singing. Come on, not a lack of shouting, not a lack of dancing. My people are cut off because they don't know what to do. Which is why we, we should never, here, we should never settle for coming to church and it's just emotion for the whole time. Nothing wrong with shouting. I believe in shouting. Nothing wrong with getting excited. I believe in getting excited. But you need to know what you're shouting about. Because come Monday morning when the devil get on your behind, he'll give you an hour to go to church on Sunday. In fact, he'll, he'll escort you to church. Because Monday morning, his plan is he's going to be on top of your head. And you're not going to be able to shout him out. Because when you get done shouting, he can say, but I'm still right here. But if you can do like that song said, you can open up your mouth in your authority. Come on, somebody. And you can declare what thus saith the Lord. The word of God says, you can do like Jesus did. It is written, though no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Come on. It is written that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. All of a sudden, that very same devil will find him somebody else to mess with. Because he knows you understand your position in Christ. I'm preaching better than you saying amen in this place. You got to believe that God is talking to me. Say it out loud. I know God is talking to me. Number two key to improve your hearing, you got to work diligently to develop your spirit. Work diligently to develop your spirit. Now, let me, let me help you understand. See, the way that you're made up is that you are a spirit being who lives in a body. This body is just the house you live in down here on earth. You will not take this body to heaven. Watch this, which, which is why we shouldn't get all caught up on the outside paint that's on this body. Don't get overly concerned about whether or not there's a dark tan or light tan or not much tan at all on this body because this is not the real you. Shout amen, somebody. Amen. See, we've allowed the enemy to confuse us. We're focusing in on all the wrong stuff. What matters is not what color the outside of the house is. What matters is who's living in the house. So I said, so the real you, the real you, the real you, you're a spirit being, you live in a body, and you have, you possess a soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's what we call being a tripart being. You live in a body, you have a soul, but you are a spirit being. Now I said, that means that your spirit is the most important part of this whole system. So since the spirit is the most important part of the whole system, I said, the spirit should be the one that's dominating the system. Your spirit should be the one giving instructions to your emotions. Sit down and be quiet. You're not going to have me marrying somebody that I shouldn't be marrying. The spirit should be the one saying to your will, I don't care what you want to do. We're going to obey God. The spirit should be the one that is saying to your intellect, yes, let's get all the education we can, but we're not going to get so educated that we can't obey God. 
What happens is, watch this, we don't feed our spirit as much as we feed the rest of our system. If I spend all week long binging out on my favorite TV show, and I spend 22 and a half hours a day on social media, and, I, and I'm listening to all the music that doesn't have much word in it ever, guess what's going to happen? My soul is going to be strong, and my spirit's going to be weak. See, what's supposed to happen is my spirit is supposed to sl- slap the taste out of my soul's mouth. My soul tried to take me to somebody's house at midnight I shouldn't be with. My spirit's, my spirit's supposed to you better sit down and shut up. We about to read the Bible. <laughs> but when your spirit is weak, because all, all I've been getting is that one little message at church for the week, and I'm trying to live off of that all week long. Sunday afternoon, I'm good. But come Tuesday, spirit man like this. And some of your soul got your spirit choking him out. <laughs> I wish you would pick that Bible up. We're going to eat chocolate cake. I said chocolate cake. <laughs> then you make it to church on Sunday. You come in the parking lot like this. You hear these worship songs, you end up like this. You get this good message and you walk out just like this. But by Monday afternoon, your soul like, you thought you're doing something. I get back down here. <laughs> Why? Because we haven't strengthened our spirit. So now watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, their minds on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, remember that phrase, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That means hostile or enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot what? Please Come on, they cannot what? Please cannot please God. Those that are in the flesh, those that are living according to a carnal mind. Now let me, let me describe to you what a carnal mind is. To be carnally minded means to cater to the appetites and the impulses of one's human nature, which is displeasing to God. Carnally minded is thinking and doing what is right in one's own eyes, which is humanism. To be carnally minded means to be purely driven by natural information, ruled by your five senses, controlled by the impulses of your body, emotions, or own human will without submission to God. To be carnally minded is to live with a spirit that is in constant communion with God, but refuse to yield your decisions to your spirit. The carnal mind is actively opposed to and hostile toward God, enmity, and it will not submit. So the carnal mind, a lot of times when we think of being carnal, we think of somebody that's immoral, loose living. But watch this. To be carnally minded simply means that I don't check with my spirit to hear what God is saying. I check with myself. What do I want to do? YOLO, I, don't, I know what the Bible says, but I'm only living once. I'm too, I'm too young to be that committed to God. That's carnal-minded. Carnal-minded is checking with your emotions. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it's my time to be that committed right now. I just want to live my life. To be carnally-minded is to check with your intellect. That doesn't make any sense to me. But just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it's not God talking to you. See, to be carnally-minded is to be ruled by what we can see, hear, taste, feel, smell. 
is to let our five senses dictate. To be, see, to be carnally minded, there's no way you can believe God by faith because you can't see it. And what God is saying is, hey, you, you, you're never going to please me if your whole system is set up where you're leaning to the things that are right here in front of you as your justification for what you do or do not do. In fact, living a carnal life is probably the biggest hindrance to Christians hearing from God and proceeding in his purpose. See, the only way that you can even be carnally minded is once you've gotten born again. See, an unsaved person is not carnally minded. They're, they're, they're living on a sin nature. Remember I taught you this. It's the nature of an unsaved person to sin. But the day we get born again, watch this, our spirit becomes reborn. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Your spirit becomes reborn. Watch this. Your spirit is a twin brother with Jesus Christ. The next point I'm going to give you to prove that your spirit wants to do exactly what God says. The problem is this mind, will, emotions, and this body are warring against our spirit. That's what Paul described in Romans chapter 7 when he says, the thing that I want to do, I end up not doing. The thing I keep telling myself, I'll never do that again, I find myself end up in the same spot again. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, there's this battle going on. I'm trying to stop doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, but I keep end up doing it. I'm trying to do the stuff I know is right to do, but I struggle getting up to do those things. He said, the battle is because I've become so carnally minded that I'm allowing my flesh to pull me to places that my spirit doesn't want to go. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior. Don't copy the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Watch this. Let God transform you into a new person. Well, watch this. By changing the way you think. So I become born again by confessing Jesus. I get transformed into a new person by letting God change how I think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, we got to learn how to guard our eye gates, what we allow to come into to our eyes. We got to guide our Guard our ear gates, what we allow ourselves to listen to. Watch this. we got to guard our mouth gate. Those are three ways that something can get into your heart. The Bible says above everything else you protect, protect your heart. The way something gets into your heart is through what we see, what we hear, and what we say. Which means if we're going to allow our heart to no longer be carnally minded but develop our spirit, we got to protect what we allow to get put in front of us that we hear, we see, and we say on a regular basis. The third thing that we can do to improve our hearing is you gotta, we got to learn how to yield to the voice of our conscience. Yield to the voice of your conscience. I'm going to teach you a lesson right here. Please pay attention. John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But in fact, Jesus said, It is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, then the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, he won't come. He says, But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Everybody shout the world. Everybody shout the world. He will convict the world of its sin. I want you to notice something. He didn't say the Holy Spirit will convict Christians of their sin. He said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin. He'll convict the world of God's righteousness. He'll convict the world of the coming judgment. And then he tells you which sin he's convicting the world of. He said the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Can I kind of just teach you a lesson? Holy Spirit is not even convicting the unbeliever of all the sins they are committing. See, the Holy Spirit is not, not, not tapping the prostitute on the shoulder out there in the street saying, you wretched thing, you. You need to get your life together. I can't believe I created you fearfully and wonderfully, and you out here giving your body away. That's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is not even convicting the drug addict. 
He's not walking up to the drug addict saying, I can't believe you wasting all your money and wasting your time, letting your whole life go away like this. The one sin he's convicting the world of, the unsaved person, is despite what you're doing with your body, God still loves you and you need Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says no man can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is drawing him. The one thing the Holy Spirit is constantly talking to unsaved people about is not all the stuff they're doing. He's talking to unsaved people about the Savior who can help them out of what they're doing. So can I give the, can I give the body of Christ a little advice? If Holy Spirit is not riding the unbeliever on what they're doing, then you ought to stop riding too because obviously he's not the one motivating you to do that. But here's another one. Here's another one. The Bible says he convicts the world of their sin. The Bible doesn't say anything about him convicting the Christian of our sin. I'm about to mess up some theology. I know it. But I'm reading it from the book. The Bible doesn't say he convicts the church of their sin. So I said, so who is it that convicts the church? Because there is a conviction. If you're saved, I mean, you step outside those boundaries. There's that, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was wrong. So who is it that's convicting the church of our sin? Let me tell you, it's your own reborn, recreated human spirit. <laughs> that little something on the inside that makes you nauseous when you know you've missed a mark, when you know you, got, you did the opposite of what God told you, that's not even the Holy Spirit. I mean, it feels like Holy Spirit, but it really is your own spirit. See, when you're born again, your spirit is twin brothers with Jesus Christ, which means your spirit wants to do what is right before God all the time. In fact, that is one of the proofs of your salvation is that you can no longer just sin and sin and sin and be okay with it. You have conviction in your heart when you step outside the boundaries of God's will. But there's a danger when we keep doing the opposite of what our spirit tells us to do. In, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit says clearly that some people will abandon the faith in these last days. That means it, shouldn't, it should sadden us when people walk away from Jesus, but it should not surprise us. They will obey lying spirits and follow the teachings of demons. Such teachings are spread by deceitful liars whose consciences are dead as if they've been burnt with a hot iron. Now that phrase in the King James Version says their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. The Greek word that is translated seared with a hot iron, it literally means to brand or to cauterize or to render insensitive. Now, when I was in college, I played as a fraternity in college, and it wasn't required, but after I played, I, I wanted to get a brand. I was, the, I was the lead on my line, and I've always, whatever I've been in, I've always been 100% in. And so I, after we crossed, I was the first one in line to get a brand, and my mom tried to kill me afterwards, but <laughs> I got my arm branded. And, and the process of getting it branded is literally what you think. They took a hot iron shaped with a, 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 S, a Greek S, a sigma, and they heated it up, put some ice on my arm to numb it completely, gave me some liquid. I ain't going to tell you what was in the liquid. <laughs> that ain't none of your business. That ain't got nothing to do with the illustration. <laughs> but the parts I remember is what I'm telling you. <laughs> and they took that hot iron and literally on my skin, it was dumb. It's like, a, like some cattle branded me. But the point I'm making is, after it started the healing process, I remember for a while, I couldn't feel anything in this area. Why? Because that hot iron cauterized the nerves in this area. And even now, 34 years later, if I, if I touch right there at, at the spot where I got branded, 
I, I, I can feel, but I can't feel as well as I can when I scratch it down here. Why? Because even this many years later, that part of my arm has been rendered slightly insensitive. What the Bible is saying is, if we keep overriding our conscience, our conscience can become cauterized. Our conscience can become rendered insensitive. We can get to the place to where we're doing the wrong thing and it doesn't even feel wrong anymore. See, 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 see when we, as a believer, your spirit is sensitive to God and every time we step outside the boundaries of the will of God, this is what happens on the inside. Your spirit says, eh, or you hear this loud, don't do that. Or if you, if you did it and you, the next morning you wake up, you hear, you shouldn't have done that. But then if you override and you go back and do it again, the next time you hear, don't do that. If you override and go back and do it again, next time you hear, don't do that. And if you override and hear it again, next time you hear, don't do that. And if you override and hear it again, next time it's, don't do that. And then it's, don't do that. And then it's, it's not that big of a deal. Before you know it, you end up way over here where something, watch this, that used to absolutely be clear to you that was wrong. All of a sudden becomes it's not that big of a deal. And watch this, we can even start justifying it. And getting mad at other people who are trying to tell us that we shouldn't do it. Because watch this, their conscience is still alive. And God is trying to use them to waken our conscience back up. But we can end up getting mad at them as if you should be minding your business instead of messing with me. It is a dangerous place to be when we get to the place where we can do the wrong thing for so long that we lose sensitivity to it. Amen? Amen. And our conscience can become insensitive through unrepentant sin. That's why we got to be quick to repent, man. Don't run away from God when you sin. Turn around and run back to him. Repent when we've missed the mark. We can become insensitive through unforgiveness because our heart becomes hard. We can become insensitive through anger, through jealousy, and watch this, even through grief. Grief can cause our conscience to become seared. And insensitive to where we get so grief-stricken. That's what Corey talked about on Easter when his wife passed away tragically and suddenly, man. And he talked about how he went back to a place of doing things he used to do that God had delivered him from and found himself descending down this black hole. But thank God his love and mercy comes running and chasing after every one of us. Come on, even if you're sitting here right now and you find yourself in that black hole, you find yourself descending down a pathway where you, you've opened yourself up to doing stuff you know is not right to do. This is God's love. This is not his judgment. This is not his correction. This is his love for you saying, no, come back toward the light. Awaken your spirit again. Allow yourself to be sensitive to God once again so God can take you back to that place where once again you are doing what God tells you to do. Amen. Amen. You got to be listening pretty quickly, so I'm going to give you one last one today. The last one I want to give you, as it pertains to how do I improve my hearing, this was not as spiritual as the other three. We got to slow down and rest. Slow down and rest. See, being too busy or being too tired can absolutely affect our ability to be sensitive to God's voice. You remember when Jesus was going to pray, and the Bible says he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he went, he told them, you all stay right here, I'm going to go over yonder and pray, and he went and prayed to God, Lord, is there any other way we can do this? He came back, the Bible says all three of them were asleep, and he did that three different times, every time he came back, they were asleep, 
Watch it. They weren't asleep because they were lazy. They weren't asleep because they weren't committed to Jesus. They were asleep because their bodies were exhausted. And many times what we don't recognize is this. We are infinite beings who are subject to a finite body, which is the reason why we've got to rest. See, there are times when God is trying to talk to us. He's trying to tell us to go right instead of going left, but we're so tired that we're not sensitive to him. And every time, hear me out, every time a tragedy happens and we find ourselves asking, why did God let that happen? Let me tell you something. We can't describe for sure why it happened the way it did, but every single time a tragedy happens to a Christian, hear me well, look at me, God is always trying to warn us before that happens. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He shows us things to come, things to come but we're human beings. Sometimes we can be in disobedience, and sometimes we can just be tired. When I'm tired, I'm not as sensitive to God. When I get a vacation, I come back off on an off day, I find myself perked up, paying closer attention, which is why we got to ask ourselves this question. Every one of us in here has got to ask ourselves this question. What did God actually say for me to do? Of the long list of stuff you have on your calendar for this week, what did God actually tell you to do? Because I'm coming right now. I mean, you have plans for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, rest of this week. Look at your calendar and ask yourself, what did God actually tell me to do? Because sometimes one of the devil's biggest tricks is to get us so busy doing so much stuff that we're too busy to slow down and be sensitive to what God is actually saying. When we're not sensitive, we miss the mark. Slow down, man. What did God actually say to do? Because, see, 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 just because you have a hole in your schedule doesn't mean you're obligated to fill it. Luke 14, 28. If you want to build a tower, you first. Everybody say first. first. Everybody say first. first. You first sit down and decide how much it will cost to see if you have enough. Now, the Bible says money, but I'm going to add to that. See if you have enough money. See if you have enough time. See if you have enough resources. See if you have enough personnel, whatever it is. To actually finish that job. See, we must learn to live our lives with margin. I didn't say margarine. I said with margin. <laughs> what is margin? Margin is room for things to go wrong. We're not planning for it to go wrong. We got to live life with some margin, man. What does that mean, pastor? That means stop overcommitting your time. Stop saying yes to everything because you're a people pleaser. Stop being afraid somebody's going to be mad at you because you couldn't come to their event. You can't do everything and still rest and be able to hear from God. Come on, while you're in a clapping spirit, let me give you this one. Leave home early enough to arrive early to where you're going. You can't keep leaving in time to get there with 30 seconds to spare. Why? Because when you I'm having fun, but I'm being serious. Because while you're leaving at the very last minute with just enough time to get there, you're zooming through lights, you're honking your horn, you're, you're, trying, you're, you're, you're frustrated with the, the construction traffic, and in all that process, why? says God could be calling your name, and you end up like Sam. He's calling you, but you don't recognize it. He's saying, I, 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 no, 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 I want you to go around this. I want you to go this way. And because you don't have enough time, you have no margin. 
Watch this. We, we will override him almost every time. We will go the way we think makes the most sense and might end up in a bad situation because we didn't have any margin built in. How about this? Live beneath your means. Don't spend every dollar before you even have it, man. Just because you can afford this house don't mean you need that house. Live beneath your means. Watch this so you don't have to add a second job and a third job and a bunch of overtime just to keep the lights turned on. I'm preaching better than you are saying amen in this place. See, God never intended for us to live life at the breakneck speed that most of us are living right now. I'm just going to be honest. Most of us in here are just far too busy. You're just too busy. Most of us in here don't have a real off day throughout the week. Even what you call an off day, you're still texting and emailing. Your mind is still wrapped around work. There's some of you in here, you brag about the last time. I haven't, had, I haven't taken a vacation in, in 15 years. <laughs> That's nothing to brag about. To be honest, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You should be ashamed of that. What you're really saying is, God gave me this one body, and I'm running it in the ground. I'm abusing this body he gave me. I'm working 365 days a year. I don't ever take a break to let myself have a Sabbath the way he said to have a Sabbath. And I feel proud of it. No. Slow down. Rest. Sabbath. Vacation. Your body will be better for it. Your spirit will be more sensitive. And when God wants to pull you away to have that intimate moment to talk to you, you'll be in a posture where you can actually hear him. And watch, he'll lead you around tragedy. But that's not the only thing. Sometimes it's not even a tragedy he's leading you around. Sometimes it's the blessing he's trying to lead you to. <laughs> Sometimes it's like Peter. He led Peter down to the river. He said, the first fish that comes out, stick your hand in his mouth, and you're going to pull out a gold coin. Some of you have been missing your fish because you're too tired, man. You've been missing your instructions. And you're having to figure out a way to pay for something that God already paid for, but you were too busy to hear what he had to say. If you know that's a good word today, come on, give God a shout of praise in this place. All right, I'm over my time, so I'm going to go ahead and say every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you, ma'am or sir, would you please let me pray for you today? I'm not going to embarrass you. This is not a church. We're going to ask you to stand up and come to the front of the church. I'm going to, not going to send you out to another room for somebody else to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat or right there online, wherever you happen to be in the world. And so I want to ask you, ma'am or sir, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, let me say it this way. If you were to die today, if you're not 100% sure you go to heaven to be with Christ, will you let me pray for you? Let me, let me lead you in a prayer of commitment to Jesus. I'm not asking you to commit that you'll never do this again, you'll never do that, or you'll be an amazing Christian. I'm asking you to make the commitment that you will surrender your life to Jesus for the rest of your days. If you're willing to do that, he's willing to take you right where you are, no matter how many warts or flaws you have, and he'll bring you into this amazing relationship and teach you step by step how to walk in victory the way he wants you to. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer, wherever you are in the room or online, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I get to three... I'm going to ask you, if you are ready to give your life to Jesus, will you be bold enough to just shoot your hand up as high as you can? I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, don't think about it. Don't, 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 don't let somebody else talk you out of it. Don't be concerned about who else may be looking. But when I count to three, I'm going to ask you, just shoot your hand up with boldness, with courage, because you are ready 
to enter in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, lift that hand up all over the room. Yes, I love it. See that hand, another hand there, beautiful. Another hand there, I see that hand right there. Thank you, see your hand there. One, two hands there, I love it. Thank you, see that hand there, beautiful. See that hand there, thank you, ma'am. See that hand there, another hand there, another hand there, another one, another one, another one, all over the room. Come on, all over the room, hands are going up. Anybody else? Anybody else was a little hesitant because you didn't know what we might do? This is it. This is all I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and then you can put it right back down after you raise it. I just want heaven to put it on record that you're saying yes to Jesus today. If you're online, even though I can't see you, still raise your hand right there online as well. Anybody else before we pray? Beautiful. All over the room, hands are up. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but I know you raised him from the dead. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my whole life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am right now born again. Amen. (laughs) Come on, shout like you're excited, Impact.